Ultra. Welcome back to the Cornetto Minute, the daily podcast where we review and reanimate the Zom Rom-Com Shaun of the Dead, one minute at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli, and joining us once again, John Engel. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back, guys. Happy to have you back. Absolutely. And today, we are taking a bite out of Minute 39, which starts with Ed saying, perfect, and uh, ends with Sean telling Ed not to say that. Uh, just look at the state of this place. Um, look at the state of it. Yeah, and just like the little, like it's in a wide shot, so you can, if you want, you can kind of see the <laughs> the corpse. <laughs> yeah, and I already talked about that yesterday. I just realized that I uh, jumped the minute. I like, <laughs> I like, it's fine. Right. I I like that Ed is the one. Even Ed is like, yeah. I mean, come on, we can't bring people here. <laughs> <laughs> that. The corpse is the uh, one bridge too far for Ed as yeah. far as bringing guests over. <laughs> He's okay. Even after he cleans up, he has to have a couple of beers after and then mm-hmm. the place is completely messed up. But a corpse, that's too much. You know, Ed's Ed's face is, is far too close to that bloody shovel. I always laugh at that. That's <laughs> that's one of the funniest things to me is how he, comfortable he is with that bloody shovel. Yeah, just right kind of like resting on it. Yeah. <laughs> Two different people's blood, probably. Oh, horrifying. Yeah, it, it's Ed's, man, dude, like it's, I love him. I mean, we love this character. He's a beloved comedy character, but we're seeing some warning signs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doing this he's minute a, by minute. Yeah. He's a little scary. He really is. He, um, well, we have a big one at the end that we'll talk about, but when, um, we get we get some cool new angles of Sean's apartment. God, I feel like fucking Justin Long and Galaxy Quest. We get some new angles of Sean's <laughs> apartment, and um, I'm seeing some family photos that seem to be like taped to a to a cabinet. Yeah, yeah, behind under, behind, the, behind, under the VHS tapes there, and that's super interesting to me that they're that they have like family member pictures up. Like, I wonder. I don't know. It's just interesting. I don't think you think I that's Pete's that. family or Sean's. Yeah, family? my my instinct says Sean just because I can. I feel like I see blonde hair in the photos, but who knows? I mean, who knows? Well, Pete would have his in a frame. Yeah. Which would be uh, taped like a college yeah, dorm. Yeah, he wouldn't just stick him up to the... Uh, we don't see Pete's room, um, right. but I'm sure it's immaculate. I'm sure that things are in frames. He sorted his life out, guys. He's already yeah. got his life sorted out. He, he doesn't he, tape he things is, to the wall anymore. He is probably not out of his room unless absolutely necessary. Yeah. Unless he has oh, to go yell that- at somebody. Is that picture that's taped up there? Is that is that like an, a picture supposed to be like a picture of Sean DJing? Maybe it could yeah, be. Maybe. It looks yeah. like a child, a boy child's odd. Well, from a distance, 
Yeah. <laughs> Peg could look like a child. Um, I don't know. Because <laughs> I, I actually think Simon Pegg has done actual like DJing when he was younger. So that might be like literally a picture of him DJing. Uh, I'm surprised we don't know. We both read his book, Nerd Do Well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. But uh, but yeah, I, I just... I love that when they're trying to think of a place to go, like Sean's like looking around the house, like <laughs> looking yeah. for a spot to go. I don't know. There's something really interesting about um, the uh, his his sort of choice of body language there that I like. Yeah, and speaking of body language, I am I just love they really milk them both having the same idea. Absolutely. Uh-huh. It's like the audience is like, oh, they're, I, I always think they're not even going to say it. Like, mm-hmm. they're just going to let it all play out. And then it's like, go to the Winchester. Uh, yeah, I, I love the cut because I'm a big fan of moments where it seems like, you know, somebody's got an idea and they're going to say it. And they go, <gasps> you know, right before. And you know that the actors on the set never said anything afterwards. Right. They just did the... <gasps> Like 50 takes of that, and they just use the best one. <laughs> I just always love that that way of cutting into something. Right. And then we get we get the we get the plan montage again, and only this time it's it's the tightest that it's ever been, both in editing and framing. Um everything's everything's very tight. There's not a lot of wides. The only wide shot we get is of them all sort of relaxing in, in the Winchester with with John and Bernie in the background, just like happy as can be that they've got customers during the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> it looks like Barbara's uh, drinking a white wine. and Yeah, well, yeah and, uh, of course. Liz, Liz is has drinking. Liz got a gin and tonic, right? Yeah, G&T. Yeah. Yeah. Or a maybe a, a, a vodka soda or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah. I got a, little, I got a little roll. I also, it's, uh, I I love that, you know, this being a movie about sort of that, that, that feeling when you know that you're in the relationship that you're, you're going to be in, uh, and you, you, you know, that, that this is the one, um, that, you know, we're probably going to get married. We're going to, we're going to be together. And you sort of have that thing where, especially, you know, the first time you, that happens, or the first time you think that that's happening, you get this sort of sense of, you know, not wanting to let go of your bachelor life. And I feel like that's kind of what this movie is really about. And sure. yeah, exactly. Uh, right. And, and it's, it's, and Ed is sort of a representation of, of Sean's bachelor life. Mm-hmm. Um, which he will uh, literally have to let go of uh, later in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, or, or I guess at least find a compromise. Um, but uh, I, I love that the Winchester is also one of those um, representations of that, that concept. And it's, it's sort of his, you know, nothing makes him happier than a, a pint at the Winchester and, Nothing yeah. makes him feel safer and more comfortable and just the whole, th- this whole concept for this movie, I just think is so smart. Like, the, like comparing, you know, the horrors of, of, you know, all, all of this, you know, supernatural danger and comparing that to the feeling that you get, you know, having to become yeah. a, um, not a bachelor anymore. There's, it's just that whole, 
um, allegory, I just think is really, really smart and really, really well done. Yeah. Or that, 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 that fear of having, am I going to have to let go of these things? It means so much to me now. Right. That, you know, comparing that to like an oncoming apocalypse. Yeah. Is right. it's, it's apt, you know, yeah. emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, at this point in the movie, we're in, as we talked about yesterday, we're in his fantasy world for right. a good portion of it. And what's the best fantasy but to have your girlfriend, uh, the, who you love, who you just expressed love for, enjoying the Winchester as much as you do. Right. And, you know, in this in this last shot we get of the plan, that's what we're seeing. She's just as happy to be there as, as he is. And I'm just noticing now, too. She's also eating the bar snacks that he was eating earlier and somehow uh -huh. in one small, weird way. That's where before she was talking about wanting to eat proper meal, proper food. It's like, well, if she could just go to the bar, enjoy it as much as me and eat bar snacks and be happy with that. Then this will all be perfect. I'll have the best of both worlds. Right. Which, of course, is not possible. Right. Um, not saying that a uh, girlfriend can't enjoy the bar with you <laughs> at all. But I'm just in the larger allegorical uh, sense that you guys are talking about. You're not going to get this, buddy. You're going to have to change. Right. You're going to have to adjust. And it does and, seem like the end of the world, but it's not. And know? the concept of of you know trying to live between worlds. I mean, you're. I mean, that's what zombies are. They're dead people who are walking around like living people. Um, mm -hmm. And it's God. It's just so smart. Like that. That allegory is really, really good. Yeah, and you know, not to get way ahead, but they. It, it's nice for Sean as a character and for us as the viewer that he gets to hang on to just a sliver of the old life at the end. Right. You know, like it's still, it's not saying that you have to throw everything in the garbage and everybody you know in the garbage, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Unlike, unlike a 40 year old virgin, which is right. like the opposite of this movie. Um, which is cynical, you know, right. like 40 year Judd Apatow's view of marriage, strangely, with his wife playing roles in all of his movies, seemingly, <laughs> is he has this really kind of cynical view of parenthood and marriage. That yeah. it's like, dude, you don't, you're not losing any your identity. You're just adjusting to something. You know, right? This movie has that understanding, and that's with, uh, you know, I guess to be fair to Judd Apatow, these guys weren't married <laughs> at the time that they made <laughs> Shaun of the Dead. So I guess I had to give, uh, you know, Judd Apatow his uh, credit just for having his own point of view of marriage, but. Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time, this seems more mature. This seems more realistic. Like, yeah, you got to adjust. You got to, you know, make your changes. You got to let yourself evolve. But um, at the same time, you know, you're not throwing everything away either. That's the reality you have to come to. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of your, uh, the things you like aren't going to go away entirely. I mean, Liz, you know, at the end, she she's down with going for a drink too. You know, yeah. when she gives the final plan, it's not like she's taking everything away when you get married or settled down that everything's being taken away from you. So that's a big part of the allegory. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's good reading, guys. Yeah. I've never really thought about this movie quite that way. Like, not that in depth, but um, well, we almost have no choice. <laughs> no, absolutely. And there's and then there's, of course, there's the 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 sort of um less less subtle allegorical representation of of a breakup feeling like the end of the world um mm -hmm. which is like kind of put on front street by ed with that line like it's not the end of the world um but <laughs> but it's a I very think, undersold line which i think is maybe why it works yeah yeah but i think that i think that when you take the movie as a whole it's actually it's not about the breakup um the breakup is just the impetus to sort of drive us into act two. Um, mm -hmm. What, what the movie's really about is 
what is set up in the uh, in the first scene, which is mm. about finding the balance between, <clears throat> you know, being the guy that you always have been and becoming the guy who's in a, you know, dedicated relationship with another human being. I think what Scott's trying to say is that uh, Sean's breakup with Liz was a storm, but growing up is the geostorm. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah. that's a good one. Everybody will understand that reference in five years. <laughs> Evergreen yes. podcast. You know, it's funny. Though, I mean, you know, we almost have to talk about Yvonne for a second, too, though. Because mm-hmm. Yvonne, now don't tell me if I'm getting this wrong. Yvonne is someone that he broke up with, right? Sometime in the past. We, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. I didn't pick uh, up I on couple vibes. I, I picked yeah, up oh, on like God. old friend vibes. Her, yeah. her serious interest in Liz, to me, is what her constantly asking, and then the way that they say hello to each other and all of that. Yeah. He's always told me that this is a breakup he had once before. He's been through something before. Now, again, I might be reading that wrong. That's just how I've read it. That but might be all- that might be how they that might be why they cut out all of the stuff that they cut out of that scene is so so that you can get that reading. That actually mm-hmm. does make sense because in the script, she specifically says, "I haven't seen you since." And then makes like uh, DJ like club music noise um, to basically say that this is an old friend from Sean's DJing days. Uh, but they cut all of that out. And I think what's left now that you say that I can see what you're seeing. And I don't I don't think that that's an incorrect reading. I, I think that we were just reading into the deleted stuff. And so mm-hmm. assuming taking that as as canon. And I guess we. You know, you, we shouldn't do that. We should we should uh, look at, you know, how the scene is presented and how it's presented. I don't think you're wrong. I think that there is a little bit of uh, you. You could absolutely read that scene as this is a, this is an ex-girlfriend for sure. And I mean, to me, that's kind of an interesting thing. If that's the fact, I mean, for one thing, if she's just some girl used to know when he DJ, that's that's not very rich. Like, what, right. that's a kind of empty character. Um, the fact that they are kind of talk seem to talk around the past a little bit when they're talking, and the fa- again the fact that she's so interested in Liz makes me like I don't know it just reminds me of an ex girlfriend, and um, I mean she's clearly over it she's clearly much better for it and of course that's that's the juxtaposition that's yeah. really on the surface. See your hair? Yeah, that hair's great. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know to me. Um, this idea of the breakup that's happening here in the first act or so of the movie feeling like the end of the world to Sean is kind of like that real feeling that if you really thought about it, it's like we've all been through those. I mean, you always think it's the end of the world unless it's your first one. Um, you've gotten through it and you've been fine. You know, like and, that and that's just one of those time. things that we don't really think about. Like in the moment, it just it always feels like the end of the world, despite the reality of our own past. You know? Yeah. It, it's so crazy that the most universal experiences are the most intense. Like everyone's had like every being, you know, like we have crushes or we get our hearts broken and stuff or, but it always feels like so apocalyptic when it's happening to you. The newest one feels you know, this one's different though, you know, it's kind of the, <laughs> what your brain does to you every yeah. time you get dumped or something. And it's like, well, no, I mean, they're all like every time it's, you, you know, you just have to move on and figure it out. And of course it's difficult in the emotional state to, to figure that out. And so we're in that emotional state area here for Sean. Right. 
mm-hmm. where he's just been dumped. Like we said yesterday, he's in such an emotionally vulnerable state. He's willing to tell his friend that he loves his girlfriend, you know? So, uh, uh, that's where we are here. And yeah, I think that as the movie goes along, it starts to become not about that anymore because it's about yeah. something bigger than just getting dumped. Right. And cool. Like one of the best things about this movie is that as it's doing that allegorically, so to speak, the movie is also becoming more and more real and serious mm-hmm. and actually becoming the horror movie that it, that it turns into fully mm-hmm. in the you know final half of the movie. I think that's one of the most brilliant things about this movie is how seamlessly it evolves into a real horror movie, a very yeah. effective one, uh, yeah. where you might have thought it was just going to parody a horror movie the whole time. And they don't they don't sell it short like that. So I think that the allegory is kind of doing the same thing. The bigger picture of human existence of relationships, you know, of our perspective of relationships also gets more real uh, through the allegory in this movie. And I think that the reason that it's sort of, um, you know, just allegorically, the reason why it's sort of dovetailing into more of a horror movie as it goes along is also because Sean is you know, despite the fact that he's sort of making plans and making moves, it's all surface level stuff. He isn't changing. He's not, he's still fighting against change. He's still choosing the Winchester over, you know, other, other safer places. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and so he's still making kind of the same mistakes, but on a, on a grander scale. And it's, it's causing, you know, the movie to, and his life to become more and more of a horror movie until he finally is like, okay, we, I actually, I have to leave all of this shit behind. And then that's when we go back into parody world. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, ah, man, it's a strong movie. (laughs) It's a strong movie. (laughs) Um, so back, uh, back, you know, back into into the movie itself, into the scene. Um, we after uh, we wrap up the plan that they're going to go with. Um, we have, of course, uh, you know, Sean saying, "How's that for a slice of fried gold?" Which we talked about um, earlier when Ed said it, sort of in passing. Uh, but you know, this this f- turn of phrase is apparently just something Nick Frost made it made up and just. It's sort of like his <sighs> own personal catchphrase, which is that's, that's his genius, isn't it? Yeah, it's just such a just such an interesting thing, and and they just they put his catchphrase into the movie, and I I don't now, know. Do you think Nick Frost's catchphrase catchphrase was "slice of fried gold," and then when Peg and Wright sat down to write the script, they because you know in the script it says a fried gold sandwich. Did you guys read that? Oh which yeah, is, right. Which is not right. Which is just not right. It doesn't sound right. right at all. It would have been a much worse line. Do you think Frost came along and goes, that's not it, guys. Come on now. Yeah. Uh, you know, slice of fried gold comes off the tongue so much better. But that was one little change. That's like the only real change I saw in the script uh, during these these particular minutes. But I, um, I have used slice of fried gold myself uh, quite a few times in my life since seeing this movie <laughs> to people that don't even know what I'm talking about. So um, this well, is one of my most repeated lines. From this movie, it also works better because in the script, in that original, uh, in that original time that you know the that Ed says, "How's that for a slice gold?" When he's going over the plan uh, for uh-huh. the next day, um, he he it says in the script, "How's that for a slice of fried gold?" So changing it 
to how's that for a slice of fried gold makes it more of a callback. So I don't even know why they they thought it was a good idea to change it to fried gold sandwich for the second one. I don't um, either. I don't know. Uh, that just not that that just doesn't sound right to me. I, no, I'm glad no, they changed it. Um, but uh, yeah, so the news is uh, warning them not to leave their house, not <laughs> to really, go after I, loved ones. The way this is shot, I always I, I giggle so hard during this moment because the way it's shot, the, the angle of the TV when they're looking at it as it's talking, it really does feel like a third person in the room. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's like, absolutely boys, listen, boys, listen to reason. You can't, you can't go out there. <laughs> it, it, I think that's absolutely intentional. That's exactly oh, yeah. what you're supposed to be feeling. <laughs> and what's funny to me is that you know, yesterday we were talking about they're making plans, and I mentioned you know, in horror movies, to go over a plan this off, you know, this much, and actually perfect a plan is kind of not what goes on in horror movies. Mm-hmm. Yet they get the, they they get the warning, like a direct warning not to do the very thing they plan to do. And then in classic horror movie fashion, they just ignore it completely. So right. despite making all the plans they did, there's still that trope of the heated, the, the warning unheeded that they right. get here. Which, yeah, which just, is so funny. Cause that's up. like, that's more of a haunted house slasher movie trope. Um, rather than like a trope. Don't go up there. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. yeah, the gardener, the gardener outside the haunted house, you know, right. telling you not to go in there. Yeah, well, you know, of course, this is a zombie, you know, Shaun of the Dead, it's a zombie movie, but Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg movies are always going to be a mixed bag of tropes. Like, yeah, you're yeah. always going to be getting tropes from everything. And there, uh, there is something gently provocative about a character saying, like, you believe everything you see on TV, but then if they actually had listened to the man on the TV, maybe they would have survived. I don't know. That There's just something a little bit, like, twisted about that. Well, and and also that that particular line, um, as John mm. was pointing out about the uh, uh, the mixed bag of tropes, that line and the way that it's shot and the way Peg sort of nails it, it feels very much you could lift that out and put it right in hot fuzz and it would fit perfectly because it's that a very an, Danny and Nick moment. Yeah, that is an action movie trope. What just happened? Like he has mm-hmm. like a one liner. And a, a beat of action. I mean, in this case, the beat of action is turning the TV off, but it's still <laughs> a beat of action. Yeah, you know, they're 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 boys at play, and and I think like when when like when boys pretend, it often is like, oh yeah, we gotta run around and we gotta hit, you know kill the zombies, and I maybe that's what we because like you know the next frame after that is Ed like simmering again and just like with you know like kind of like gripping the 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 shovel in his hands and like are there any zombies out there like he's he's in a video game right now emotionally right Right. you know it occurs to me too this is a this is an important juncture of the movie right we just had them lay out the plan for the rest of the movie you know Mm -hmm. at least what they hope will be how it goes down (laughs) for the rest of the movie of course there's lots of uh different you know roads they have to take and then they've he- they've been given a warning directly, and they do not heed it. So they've they're on their way down their path that the movie will take us down for the rest of the way. But what if, what happens if they hear this and then they go, you know, he might be right, <laughs> right? Like what if what if these characters did not heed the or they did heed the warning? What's the what happens? They like, get th- uh, they get eaten by Pete. I'd say. So they have to fight off Pete, and then there's all the people outside, but I guess they could kind of just keep themselves barricaded against them. Um, Liz and friends are safe on the second floor of the apartment building, correct? Yep. 
but mom's Barbara dead. gets eaten by Philip. Yeah. Barbara is dead. So one way or another, it's still the right choice. Well, I guess it's not because Barbara still ends up dead anyway. Yeah. It really doesn't. I mean, it could have, you know, the smart move would have been to stay here and see how this all plays out, you know, yeah. I guess. Uh, I'm just trying to think it through as I, as I see now, this is a big juncture. This next cut starts a new sequence. Right. So I'm like, well, okay, well, what, what happens if they actually listen to this guy? And I thought maybe, you know, at least Liz would be safe and, and friends. But uh, Barbara, yeah, one way or another, she was going to go down. That's kind of sad. It's also interesting. I mean, going back to the the concept of the of the plan and this movie's you know, I, I think it's I think that's the last instance, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, until until Liz has a plan at the in the epilogue of the movie. Um, I believe it's the last instance of a plan that is foreshadowing the movie, but it's the third time that it happens because we have um, we have uh, Ed explaining like what he wants the plan to be for Sunday, which is to mm-hmm. keep drinking and and that whole. Um, the King's Head and, 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 you know, Bloody Marys is, and all of that stuff. Which is actually prophetic, right? Right, right. It's foreshadowing. Like every, every bit of it actually happens, but in different meaning of every word. Anyway, uh, exactly. Side. But then, uh, but then the, when, when, after they get yelled at by Pete and Sean stumbles into the kitchen, he then writes a plan for his life out on the dry erase board, which is get, you know, go around mom's. Uh, get Liz back, sort life out. And that's exactly what he does over the course of the movie. And then again, we have a third plan sequence here. So it's just interesting, this 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 uh, movie's sort of obsessive look at how we plan our lives and how those things do and do not go according to said plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. But uh, the, yeah, the, so... Uh, zombie this is i believe this the z word yeah i believe this is our first and only instance of the word zombie being used in the movie because john completely dismisses it i think so, somebody says it later i okay. think i remember noting that um it might have been it might Maybe be david ed again it actually might be ed again no oh, it's okay. david when he's i think he, it's david he says that about barbara is she going to be a zombie? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, because yeah. then Ed goes, yeah. we don't use the Z word. That's right. Right, yeah. right, right. right, yeah. right. Oh, okay, so great. it's twice. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, so it's Because he learned, you know, he learned from Sean that they don't <laughs> use the Z word. That's classic, classic right peg writing there that it's somebody's always going to yeah. call back to something. Yeah. Yeah, like I like, like we've said over over the thing, like we, we talked a lot about the index card method of of screenwriting with Back to the Future and how you do you write the pay you you come up with payoffs and then you write you write a second index card with the setup and that's how you structure your movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we talked a lot about that with Back to the Future, but Back to the Future, I mean, Back to the Future looks like just I mean like a like like a loose script in comparison to these movies of as far as uh you know the index card method and setups and payoffs the this movie it's like every line of dialogue has a matching line of dialogue in the second half of the movie it's really fascinating how the how they structure their stuff like I don't even know how they manage all of this like how do they keep track of all of it it I just well, man have you never seen that? little mini documentary thing with the easel 
Yeah, yeah. No, I watched that okay. on every. Okay. I watched that on every uh, on every Blu-ray. But uh, I was sure you had. Really I thought you were going to say like on every. No, no. I, I mean, thought... I, I I know technically how. It's just like I, yeah. I just can't imagine. There's so many elements that it's it's fascinating to me that they pull it off so well. Yeah. No, they're uh, they're really like I said. They get it. Yeah. Like they they've seen these you know setups and payoffs things happen in movies their whole life. They've absorbed that idea. They understand how satisfying it is. And they just know, they just have that innate sense. Like I said, like Quentin Tarantino, like other filmmakers that just have an innate sense of how film works, how storytelling works in cinema. And they just know how to apply it. I'm not, and you know, we're writers and we're like, I don't know how they do that. And it's like, maybe we don't, maybe we, maybe we don't have that, but they have quite, you know, but um, it's something to work towards. We're also picking up on it and hopefully we can apply it to our work as well. But, um, not that every movie has to be a series of setups and payoffs that are done so neatly either. <laughs> not, no. I'm not saying that by any means because sometimes that can be a little tedious. They make it very uh, fun. You know, they they understand that it's not doesn't have to feel like a tightly structured thing. Mm-hmm. But when you're really paying attention, you realize it is. So it's actually these every Edgar Wright movie. You know, Scott Pilgrim, not to be ignored either, or he he's a, puts in that much work to make every little shot count. You know, mm-hmm. they, these guys put a lot into it and, and then make it feel pretty much effortless. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all I've got for this uh, this particular minute. Uh, John, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us about uh, about Alien Minute? Well, Alien Minute is almost over. Uh, we're coming to the end of Aliens. Uh, I'm not sure when this airs, but we'll, no matter when that is, we're getting really close to the end of Aliens. So. Uh, and that's going to do it for me. I'm going to step away. And if somebody else wants to do Alien 3, they can. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I might have somebody already ready to do that. So I'm uh, throwing it out to anybody who wants to do it. I should take that back. But um, yeah, so Alien's almost done. And I don't know what I'm going to do next, but uh, probably take a little bit of a break. Uh, I'm also the co-host of the ABC Devo podcast, which is uh, I'm doing with Pete the Retailer from Star Wars Minute, Tom Taylor from Indiana Jones Minute. And uh, Joe Maisel, uh, uh, our friend. And it's where we alphabetically talk about every single Devo song. So uh, check that out as well, folks. Uh, guys, go to doinggenre.com. It is the home of uh, everything Scott Corelli and I do and uh, other people do. Uh, in conjunction with us, we've got so many cool shows. We have Having a Friend for Dinner, our Hannibal podcast. I mean, we, it has nothing to do with us, but... Uh, yeah, I just think it's so cool that we have a Hannibal podcast. I just like, we're just so fucking classy. Uh, <laughs> Rocky Minute, you know, is going on. I love one of the great American films and uh, tons of other stuff. Harry Potter Minute is is uh, should be yes. back or on its way back with uh, with Chamber of Secrets. And, and uh, I'm not ready to reveal when I'm, I'm going to be on that show, but I am at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. whereas and at Sorcerer's Stone, I was really late. Mm-hmm. So uh, be be ready, be ready yeah. for that. And Lord of the Rings minute comes back with uh, two towers in January. So yeah. and if you've our been two our two big heavy hitters are are on their way back, which is really yeah. exciting. And if and if you've been keeping up with entertainment news, Cass and Norman are going to be doing that podcast until after they're dead. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> got you. Got to have a buffer. You know, got to record yeah. those extra episodes ahead of time, just in case you're dead <laughs> before. <laughs> You run out of content. Gerald Ford. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> go check out DuelingGenre.com. And in the meantime, let's all have a nice cold pint. 
wait for all this to blow over. Bye, 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 bye.